So we're starting this new series that we're calling Stay on Target. And I'm guessing most of you, when you hear the phrase, stay on target, that's what you imagine. The scene from Star Wars. Is it just me? I can't maneuver. Stay on target. We're getting too close. Stay on target. And then, spoiler alert, I guess, if you haven't seen this movie from 1977, Gold Leader doesn't make it. He, he dies. He doesn't make it. It's, it's sad. Tear. <laughs> when I think about what it means to live out our mission as a church, I think of this scene. Stay on target. See, these brave pilots, they had clarity about their mission. They needed to blow up the Death Star. Right? The pilots knew what was at stake. If they failed, the Death Star could be used to blow up entire planets one at a time. And these pilots believed that the mission was worth more than their lives. Even though they knew they might die, it was worth it to save the universe. So they stayed on target, even when faced with death. That's what I want for us as a community. I want us to have clarity about our mission. I want us to know exactly what it is God is asking of us as his people. I want us to be passionate about the mission. I want us to understand the stakes. I want us to stay on target even when it might cost us. The early church believed that the mission that Jesus left for them was worth risking everything for. It was worth giving their very lives to. And men and women of God have continued to give their lives in the service of God's mission from the beginning of the church. I want us to have that same kind of commitment, that same kind of laser focus on our mission. I want us to be a community that together stays on target. Sometimes the mission of the church feels a little murky, though, doesn't it? It's, the target seems to sometimes get lost in discussions about doctrine and arguments about theology and practice. Sometimes our mission as God's people gets lost just in the urgency of our daily life at home and at work. There are so many issues pressing for our attention that it's easy to forget that our main purpose for existence is not derived from our jobs or our families or our hobbies, but from God and for, from his mission for the world. So here at Harbor of Hope, we say that our mission is helping people find their way back to God. But where does that come from? It's really important for us as a community to recognize that our mission as a community wasn't something that our founding pastor, Brent Storms, just thought sounded cool, okay? Our mission as a church community does not come from what is popular in church culture right now, Our mission as a church, as this community here at Harbor of Hope, isn't actually even determined by what's happening in the world around us. Our mission as a community is derived from the very mission of God. If we confess that we are God's church, and we do, then we're not free to determine our own purpose. We're not free to come up with our own idea about the main reason we exist. The church's mission was given to us by God. The church's mission has always been to partner with God in his mission. So what is God's mission? Well, that's the story that has been collected for us in the Bible. The Bible is the witness to God's mission. The Bible is a collection of stories and poetry and letters 
written over thousands of years by human authors through the help of the Holy Spirit. The Bible was written down to collect the story of how the people of God experienced the mission of God at different points in history. The Bible affirms that the people of God voluntarily submit themselves to be a part of God's mission for his creation. So to discern God's mission, we need to look at the big picture of the Bible, the wide-angle lens. And as we look at these stories, as we consider what God created in the beginning, what he did with the people of Israel, what Jesus talked about and did, and what we see is coming for us in the new heavens and the new earth, we can see a common thread weaving through this whole story, this whole narrative about God. When we look at the whole story arc of Scripture, we could say that, in a word, God's mission is shalom, peace, everything as it should be, harmony in nature, harmony in human relationships, Harmony in the relationship between God and humanity. What God created in the Garden of Eden was shalom. When God gave the law to the people of Israel, he was telling them how to create a community that would be marked by shalom. When Jesus walked the earth, he talked about what life was supposed to work like in the kingdom of God, in shalom. He died as a sacrifice for us to put to death everything that breaks shalom. And his resurrection ushered in the era where God's kingdom of shalom is slowly being worked out in the world. All of creation will culminate in the restoration of the original shalom that God created in the Garden of Eden. God's mission is shalom. It's what he created at the beginning And it's what he is directing all of creation toward as we move closer to the end of time. So as we look through the Bible, as we read the various points in the story of God, we can derive two main characteristics of the shalom that God wants, two main markers of shalom as God sees it, as God created it. Shalom means that God is known by all, and shalom means that all creation is flourishing. God is known by all, and all creation is flourishing. So this first characteristic we see of God's shalom is that for God, shalom means that God is known by all. When we read the book of Genesis, we read that in the Garden of Eden, God literally walked with Adam and Eve. They knew God. They saw him face to face. They heard his voice. God could have created a world that he observed from a distance. He could have created humankind and then left them to their own devices to figure out what was going on. But that's not what God does because God wants to be known. So he made a place where he could be with humans, where he could dwell with them, in relationship with them. And then even after the fall, after humans weren't satisfied just knowing God, but humans wanted to be like God, after they were removed from the garden, God still remained a God that people could know. In the book of Exodus, when God promised to rescue the Israelites from their slavery, being known was at the top of his list of reasons why he rescued them. In Exodus 6-7, he says, I will take you to be my people 
and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. God wanted a relationship with the people of Israel. Because when people know God, not just know about him, but really know him, that leads to shalom. Everything as it should be. Throughout the Old Testament, God emphasizes his desire to be known. In fact, in the book of Ezekiel, God uses the phrase, then they will know I am God, more than 20 times. God wants to be known by the Israelites. He wants to be known by the Egyptians. He wants to be known by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, by all nations. God wants to be known. And this is why 2,000 years ago, God came to earth in the person of Jesus. Jesus came so that people would know God. In John 14, 6 and 7, Jesus spoke about his desire to help people know God. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. In the prayer Jesus prayed the night before his death, he seems to be saying that he has sent, he has done what God sent him to do, help people know God. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus came so we could know God. And at the end of time, in the glimpses we get of the new heaven and the new earth in the book of Revelation, God is a God, again a God who wants to be known, God who again dwells with his people as he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. In fact, in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians, when Paul talks about what he imagines the end to be like, the end of all things, he writes with longing about fully knowing God. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. God's mission is to return to the shalom that he created in the Garden of Eden. And one aspect of that shalom is that everyone knows God. The second characteristic of shalom we see throughout the biblical witness to God's mission is that shalom means all creation flourishes. All creation flourishes. Again, we can return to the Garden of Eden. In the account of creation in Genesis 1, after God created each part of his creation, he says, it is good. When he created light, he saw that it was good. When he created the waters and the land, he saw that it was good. When he created the plants and the stars and the moon and the sun, he saw that it was good. When he created fish and birds and animals, he saw that it was good. When he created humankind, he called it very good. In fact, the only thing in the garden called not good was when the first human was alone. God knew that humanity needed community Man needed community to flourish. 
He knew that loneliness wasn't good, that it wouldn't lead to shalom, because shalom is all creation flourishing. He knew mankind would not flourish in solitary life. So God created Eve to be Adam's partner. He created Eve to create human community. From the beginning, God had an idea of how creation would work best, how it would flourish. When God looked around at everything he had made, living in perfect harmony, breathing, expanding, thriving, then he rested because it was good. He looked around, he saw everything operating in shalom, and he sat back to enjoy it. In the book of Exodus, when God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, he invited them to rest in the desert while he shared with Moses what we have come to call the law. If you're like me and rules kind of just make you feel constrained, you might not have a good relationship with these words we've come to call the law. They seem like rules, right? We look at the the law as just this list of rules, but that's not what it was intended to be. No, the, the law wasn't just a list of do's and don'ts so that God wouldn't get mad at his people. No, God gave them the law so that they could experience shalom. When Moses gave his last speech to the people of Israel, he summed up why God gave them the law in Deuteronomy chapter 30. He said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Moses saw the law as leading to life, to blessing. Earlier in Deuteronomy, he said that following God's law would make all go well with the people. God was giving the people guidance on how to live in a way that would lead to the flourishing of all creation. The law was meant for the flourishing of people, whether they were rich or poor, male or female, Israelites or immigrants. The law was meant for the flourishing of their livestock so that the animals could be healthy and flourish. The law was meant for the flourishing of the land, providing times of rest for the fields so that they would be able to produce the best crops. So shalom in the Old Testament meant the flourishing of all creation. And we see this in the New Testament too. Jesus talked more than anything else about the kingdom of God. For early Christians, it was a no-brainer that to be a part of God's family meant to strive to make our world look more like the flourishing Jesus described in the Gospels. In John 10.10, he said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus healed the sick He cared for the poor. He cast out demons. He fed the hungry. He commanded storms to stop. He taught that the kingdom of God is a place where everyone has a full and flourishing life by staying connected to the giver of life. The kingdom of God is a place where everyone's invited to the table, where everyone has enough to eat, a place where everyone is loved and welcomed and has gifts that matter to the community, where the wounded are healed and the prisoners are set free. Jesus' whole ministry was a picture of all creation flourishing in God's kingdom of shalom. And that's what we're told is coming in the new heavens and the new earth, a place where no one is sick, no one grieves, no one dies, a place where lions, leopards, and bears, predators, (laughs) live peacefully with lambs and goats and calves, 
Creation is described as beautiful and sparkling. Nature, trees are described as part of the healing for the nations. That's where we're going. This is a picture of what God wants for the earth because in God's shalom, all creation flourishes. So God's kingdom of shalom happens when everyone knows him. And God's shalom happens when all creation flourishes. Well, that is a beautiful picture of God's mission. What does that have to do with us? What do we have to do with God's picture, God's mission of shalom? Well, I lied to you when I said there were two really important characteristics of shalom in the Bible. Really, there's a third one. There's a third really important observation about God's mission of shalom that we see throughout the whole Bible. The third observation we can make about God's mission of shalom is that God wants a partnership with humankind in cultivating shalom. In the Garden of Eden, God asked humankind to tend to creation, to help it flourish. He didn't need mankind. He's God. God wanted a partnership with humans that were made in his image. In Genesis 12, God asked Abraham and through him, ultimately, the whole people of Israel to partner with him to bless all nations. Did God need the people of Israel to work with him? Probably not. He's God. But for God, shalom is most fully realized when humankind, his special creation, is working with him at keeping shalom. We saw this in the life of Jesus, too. He chose disciples. He didn't preach by himself, heal by himself. Jesus invited the disciples into the process to learn so that they could do it, too. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is the last orders given to us by Jesus in the book of Matthew. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We often talk about this verse, what we've come to call the Great Commission. We talk about this verse sometimes as though it only deals with that first part of God's mission, making sure that everybody knows God. We often think of our mission as being simply to get people to pray a prayer of salvation and get baptized. But God's mission is so much bigger than that. When Jesus says they should teach all nations to obey everything Jesus had commanded, he's talking about how shalom is realized in the here and now. Jesus talked mostly about the kingdom of God. He taught his disciples to pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was not telling us to just ask people to pray a prayer. He was telling us to mobilize a community that will bring shalom back to earth. He was telling us to be a part of the flourishing of all creation that only happens when everyone knows God and when everything God created functions how it should. God's mission is shalom, and he wants us, he wants humankind to participate in cultivating shalom. That is our mission. Our mission is to cultivate shalom, to help everyone know who God is, and to help all creation flourish. And so here at Harbor, when we say that we are all about helping people find their way back to God, we mean that we want to help people know God. We want to help people flourish. And we want to help people see that they have a role to play 
in building God's kingdom of shalom. Wouldn't it be beautiful if all over Greater Lowell, people from Harbor of Hope were cultivating little pockets of shalom? What if your neighbor found his way back to God because of the way you cultivate shalom in your neighborhood? The way you throw block parties so people can get to know each other or babysit each other's kids or bring cookies or help repair a lawnmower by the community garden you make together? What if your coworker found her way back to God because of the way you cultivate shalom in your workplace? Because of the way you choose to only speak well of others? the way you encourage your coworkers, the way you choose to help those you employ succeed. What if? What if your husband or your child found their way back to God because of how you cultivate shalom in your house, in your family, the way you speak truth and love, the way you practice biblical conflict resolution, the way you encourage your spouse, your children, your parents, What if baristas and school board members and teachers and McDonald's fry cookers and UMass Lowell faculty and construction workers and nurses and doctors all over Greater Lowell find their way back to God because of the ways this church cultivates shalom in our community? The way we pick up trash or serve on school committees or run for office or pray for our community leaders or advocate for changes that will help creation flourish because of the way this church community is committed to building shalom. Because of the way we read what Jesus says in the Gospels and participate in making greater Lowell look more like the kingdom of God. Harbor, this is God's mission. And so it is our mission. Our mission is shalom. Shalom where everyone knows God. Shalom where all creation flourishes. And God has invited us as a community here at Harbor of Hope to join his mission of shalom. God is inviting us to stay on target. Each week here at Harbor, we want to give you time to respond to what you've heard in the sermon. So in these next few moments, the band's going to come back up and play quietly while we reflect. But I want to invite you to consider what God might be saying to you about the connection between your life and his mission. The connection between our community here at Harbor of Hope and his mission. We believe that the Holy Spirit is in each one of us, speaking to each one of us, so we want to give you time right now to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, what the Holy Spirit is prompting in your heart. Take some time right now to consider honestly what the purpose of your life is as you see it right now. What would you say is your purpose, your mission? Is it wrapped up, honestly, in happiness or in your family or in your job? Those are all good things, but they're not the purpose of our lives as God created us. You might think about where has God given you opportunities to cultivate shalom? Who can you help know him? How can you contribute to making creation flourish I'd also love for you to think about what does this mean for your participation in our corporate mission here at Harbor? See, my hope is that as we spend these next five weeks on our mission, that we will have together clarity on our mission, clarity on how we work together to accomplish it. Next week, we're going to talk about where do we start? 
Where do we start with this mission God's given us? The weeks after that, we're going to talk about three primary things we do as a community to work toward shalom. Uh, And as Kate mentioned earlier, we have created a daily devotional for you to utilize through this journey as well. So take these next few moments. uh, Listen to what God might be saying to you this morning, how he might be inviting you to give your whole life over to his ministry, to follow where he leads, wherever that is, and to stay on target. Let me pray. God, we belong to you as a community. We confess that. We are yours. And we don't want to be on any mission but yours. We don't want to be about anything but following where you lead, listening to your spirit, cultivating your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And God, we know we need your help. We confess that it is so easy uh, to get distracted. It's so easy. So we need your help, God. We need your help to, as a community, come together with clarity on our purpose. So Lord, will you speak to us each this morning? As we sit and listen, God, will you speak? Tell us what you have for us this morning. What is it you want for us today, this week, as we live on target with your mission? In Jesus' name, amen.